Hello and welcome to the first official episode of Under the Floodlights. This week on the show, Premier League football is back after a six-week hiatus. Liverpool and Leeds have started off their campaign by proving neither team did any defensive work during pre-season. Arteta's new signings take Arsenal to the top of the table, so we'll spend 10 minutes telling you all why that doesn't matter. Referee agendas come to the fore in week one and Bailey gives us his first in the mud segment of the new season. In the first of what will be many shameless appeals, please subscribe to the show and rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. My name's Darren Scott and I'm joined on my podcasting debut by fellow debutants Christopher Ringland, Bailey Hutchison. Boys, how are we feeling? It's half ten, I'm temporarily in London and I'm roasting. Good to hear, Bailey. Well, I've just spent 19 minutes watching Frank Lampard's Chelsea win 3-1 against Brighton and none of the new signings scored. We're doing fantastic, boys. There you go. go. Well, I guess uh, it's nice to be with you. The the Premier League is back. Um, We had a little bit of a warm-up. We had a Community Shield game. Um, and I think that sort of whetted everyone's appetite and, and now we're back and we're, we're, we're into it mm-hmm. um, Any particular games you guys want to start with? I was thinking Liverpool-Leeds There's only one place to start Liverpool-Leeds Yeah, what was that? Yeah, what was that? <laughs> what was I that? Mean, <laughs> I know this show, we, we, listen, we ticked the box on, on Apple Podcasts saying this show is explicit I didn't want to make... Uh, a big thing about you know I didn't want to swear too much in the show I wanted to try and keep it as as PG-12 as possible but the first note I have um, regarding the Liverpool Leeds game is fuck me why is this stupid game back (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean I haven't missed this one bit it's only been gone one month oh it was just it was horrible for anyone who's just tuning in I I am a Liverpool fan um, but my days that was it was terrible to watch for 90 minutes. I, I hate the way that the, this game makes me feel again. I mean, the, the first thing to say is it is fantastic that Leeds United are back in the Premier League. If um, you say so. Oh. <laughs> Whatever you believe, Mar- Chris. Marcelo Bielsa is absolutely nuts. Their team play, absolutely nuts. I mm. love how they scored three, conceded four. I have no idea where on earth they got those two centre-backs from, but they were horrific. Mm. Um, but the rest of the team's brilliant. Yeah, so I suppose, like, what did you guys think of the game? Obviously, watching it from that neutral perspective. Um, well, I genuinely thought when it came on, I was watching it on match of the day. I genuinely thought that it was playing at like two times the speed. Um, <laughs> but then I remembered that I just watched West Ham, so mm. uh, so it turns out it was actually just the normal speed for a normal game from a normal professional football club. <laughs> Fair, Bailey. What were you, some of your well, takeaways from well, it? For twenty-two minutes, the only word I could think to describe Leeds United was unsustainable. That was yeah. rock and roll football. Now, to be fair, both teams were fantastic. Played both their games. It was it was fantastic to see a championship team come up and just head to head with the champions. Play their own game. Hmm. They didn't go right. We're going to sit back game one, or we're going to do this. They went. We're going to play the way we play football. Yes, and it did reap some rewards. Now, it obviously didn't win, but you're playing last season's champions. So that's to be expected, but. I yeah. just thought, come come January, those lads are going to be knackered. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I when I watched it, from what I understood, Leeds United's tactics are they they the hold back the two centre backs. They kind of like stay kind of in the box kind of area. Yep. Then everyone else bombs forward. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, it. Calvin that's... Phillips pings balls from <laughs> uh, CDM, and everyone else just sprints for it. Yeah, and that's exactly what I saw. There was a point in the in the first half where the ball I think went wide left on a counter attack, and um, I think Leeds ended up having seven players within sort of either in Liverpool's box or just a few yards outside of it being marked by just Liverpool's back four. And I think 
I think you know the majority of the headlines will be around Liverpool's terrible quote unquote defending, um, which you know I'll admit wasn't good at all. But um, the way Leeds played was very aggressive. They were creating overloads, and whilst that makes the Liverpool defence look average at best, and, and it did force mistakes here and there, I agree with Bailey. I think it's completely unsustainable, and I think you can praise them all you want for coming to the coming to Anfield playing the way they want to play you don't get any points for playing the way they want to play um, they ultimately left losing the game because you can throw eight players forward if you want to but Liverpool and other top teams in the Premier League are so good up front that if you do that you're going to get hit and that's exactly what happened do you um, think Darren maybe do you think Klopp maybe got a starting lineup wrong um, From a midfield three perspective, I thought at times bit out of control, which was I think putting in Fabinho yeah. calmed things down quite a bit. So do you think maybe that first first half, first twenty minutes anyway, the three of Wijnaldum, Henderson, and Keita didn't work? Yeah, I think we were I'm shocked. I the think last one there. I think he was probably taken a little bit surprised at how aggressive Leeds were. Yeah. I think when you have Jordan Henderson in that deep role, because he's got so much energy and he wants to go and press when he runs out there was just a lot of times where and don't get me wrong Leeds were really good playing out from the back and I think once they got in behind Liverpool's deepest midfielder which was Jordan Henderson who was playing higher than Fabinho would once they got in behind that they then sort of had 50-60 yards in front of them where they had four or five running through and it was just Liverpool's back four trying to deal with them and then that forces kind of Gomez would jump out and then leave Van Dijk on his own. And if you look at the Bamford goal where Van Dijk makes a mistake, and it is a mistake, it's of sheer arrogance as much as anything else. <laughs> but Joe Gomez goes chasing a ball over the halfway line. Yep. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they probably did miss Fabinho. I think they probably thought they would have had more possession than they did. Um, but I still maintain... The, there are the games where Liverpool have looked quote unquote shaky at the back. Um, Chelsea last season towards the tail end after the restart, we scored five, I think three. five five that day. Yep. And then four against Leeds. So if teams want to come and put Liverpool's back four under pressure, I think they're more than welcome to because anytime teams do it, Liverpool score three, four, five goals. And I think if Leeds go and do that at the Etihad, if Leeds go and do that maybe at Chelsea. I think they're going to concede a lot of goals. Um, I think it'll be good for them when they're playing teams perhaps in the bottom half. But yeah, it'll, I agree. I don't, I'm not sure that's completely sustainable against yeah, the top teams. I agree there. They'll definitely they'll not be anywhere near relegation. They'll kill those teams near them. But I think those top teams should pick them off. And come January, I would worry fitness-wise for a lot of the guys. But... That's what leads her up for the the neutral perspective, which I'm not about. But that's the that's the nonsense talk sport and Sky Sports will give us. So we'll, we'll run with it. I, and and in the the game also gave us the first uh, weekly reminder of why this podcast needs to exist. When Shearer on Match of the Day described some of Leeds or Liverpool, I can't remember 
one of their plays as Little Gives, Little Goes into the postage stamp. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's a bit much and I'm going to turn this off now. Oh, Chris, no, even better today. If you were listening to TalkSport, I think it was Woods and Cundy described Leeds oh, as being people's second team this season. I'm sorry, <laughs> they'll not be mine. They'll not be mine. There's no such thing as a second team. Let's cut that nonsense out. It's always good to hear Cundy. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on um, Liverpool's defence if you look at the stats which we don't do on this show um, I think makes some of the comments that have been made a little bit of an overreaction I think the expected goals the stats weren't suggestive that Leeds were uh, I think their expected goals was 0.26 or yeah. something you know very little Ridiculous. Um, so I think <laughs> the overreaction regarding the, the performance of the defenders I think is is maybe not a true reflection of what that was but I wanted to get your thoughts on um, do you think other teams will look at the Liverpool defence performance and think these guys are maybe vulnerable we can go and, and have an attack there because I know I've talked to you guys about this um, offline before there was a couple of years ago when Manchester City looked so solid at the back it was the year I think they, they went to 100 points teams mm-hmm. in the bottom half of the table went to the Etihad and they they just rolled over and died. Oh, it was they awful. Yeah, they didn't even try because they yep. just thought there was no point. But those same teams would go to Old Trafford, would go to Anfield, would go to Stamford Bridge and would put in good for, good performances just because they think they can. And mm-hmm. then last year it flipped. I remember Sheffield United came to Anfield and put in an abysmal performance <laughs> just because they thought there's no way we're going to beat these guys. But then when they went to the Etihad because Man City had injury problems, the port wasn't there. Um, they gave Man City a really good game. So do you think Liverpool need to stamp out any defensive stuff early in order to make sort of the second half of the season a bit easier for themselves? Well, well they do, but they've, they've sold Dejan Lovren, so they've made one step towards doing that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is the only way to beat Liverpool because they always will score goals. So it is slightly unsustainable, as you say, Leeds playing that way. Although it may be... It maybe isn't. I mean, you play 46 games in the Championship and only 38 in the Premier League. You know, maybe they could. Very different level. It's a very different level, but, I mean, Sheffield United coped and other teams coped, you know. But, um, I mean, I don't really know how they can improve it. I mean, I have no idea how good this Greek guy is who, you know, after he's got knocked back by Norwich um, to sign a new left back to uh, back up Robertson. So if one of them gets injured, I don't know what will happen. But people, what, what was the chat that Trent can't defend or Trent isn't good at defending? Uh, I, you know, the only way to beat them is to really go at them from the wings inwards and see what happens. Yeah, I think very few modern fullbacks are really good defenders nowadays. I think mm. it always happens, though, as you say, it always seems to happen to the champions. I think it's t- whenever you've been so good for a year, teams do just naturally work you out. If you're especially this is the same core group of Liverpool players for about two, three seasons now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. P- teams know exactly what Liverpool are going to do I think by now we all roughly know how to get in behind and then I, I would worry for the next two games it's Chelsea this weekend as you have already said we scored three last time we played the game after that I think Arsenal are coming up for Liverpool as well you know Arteta does seem to have good game plans. You've seen last season against Chelsea, and you've seen against good coach City. Yeah, he does seem, and I think he'll be one. He'll he'll know the area of weakness is in behind Trent. Trent plays so high up, and it's a fantastic way to play football because the guy gets 
so many assists and takes players out of the game because of that. But because he is then so high up, a quick winger, a Pulisic at Aubameyang, can get in behind. But it's one of the... When you're winning a Champions League one year, a Premier League the next, you have to stick with the same guys and they'll win 90% of their games still. So I think it's a non-issue, but it's there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, I think, when... When Manchester City get going, um, they haven't played their first game yet, so it'll be interesting to see just how on it they look when when they get going. Um, because not a lot of the the teams that have played so far really have, have made sort of a statement that says, yeah, no. they're here for it this year. So no, it'll be interesting to see how, how they go. Um, moving on, a team who who is at the top of the league currently, uh, <laughs> we just mentioned it there, um, Arteta's Arsenal. Uh, very oh, convincing yes. 3-0 win against Fulham. I don't know if Fulham are rubbish, so I don't know how <laughs> well, where to rate that 3-0 performance. Well, a lot of Fulham's team, well, not a lot, a few of Fulham's team is the same team who, so they got relegated in that horrific season when they appointed Ranieri and sacked him halfway through um, and went straight back up um, under Scott Parker, which was very impressive, to be fair. Um, and they've got some of the same sort of players who they had then, um, their defending was beyond horrific. I mean, I have no idea of that <laughs> performance, how they got promoted, but um, they've got a couple of... I mean, I did love as well how Scott Parker decided to troll all fantasy football players by benching Mitrovic. Um, <laughs> thought that was a the great, classic first, great first start. Game of the season. Half-12 yep. kickoff and he ruins it. Oh, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was excellent. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the centre-backs, I don't think, are are anywhere near Premier League quality. And that's like, I think, their starting centre-backs. So... Um, yeah, they're seasonally finished like what, like three weeks ago or something. So, right. I mean, I personally find that game very difficult to watch for a number of reasons. First of all, the Craven Cottage camera angle has replaced Bournemouth's as the worst camera angle in the Premier League. <laughs> at one point, I saw the top of a doy's head at right back. Um, so, I think the the fewer games at Craven Cottage shown on television the better this season that's my take on it another thing seeing William wearing the number 12 I thought was a bit yuck yes um, 12 looked, is not an outfield player's no, shirt no it just looked no. it just looked wrong and, and it will affect how I view his performances this season um, well can we talk about his performance because I've got an important public service announcement oh, he went to oh. the match ball didn't he well he what, went with man yeah. off the match but he shouldn't have gone home with anything. Uh, the first um, one was definitely not an assist. Well, let, yeah, let's talk about the assists because this the fantasy football is fantastic. It keeps us all entertained for about three weeks and then we all lose it because we can't be bothered <laughs> to update our teams. But fantasy football has created this need for every single goal to need an assist. <laughs> and not necessarily every goal is assisted by someone. So if you look at Williams, three assists, were, it was really one. So the first one, as you just said there, Chris, he's shot it straight at the goalkeeper, missed. It's fallen to Lacazette, who's then put it in. And because of this need to have an assist, they've gone, oh, William passed it to him. No, he didn't. He missed. Second mm. one, nice corner in. We'll get, it was good ball in. He's, he's done it for years. Fantastic. Unfortunately, hits Gabrielle on the shoulder mm. and goes in. Doesn't count for me. Doesn't yeah, and I just want to pick up on that. Martin, Martin Keogh, uh, yes. I think did the commentary that game and, and had a few faux pas for, for the <laughs> Arsenal goals. Um, the first one, the Lacazette one that you mentioned, uh, he actually said during the replay, have a look at William's vision here and then William <laughs> kicks it at the goalkeeper and Keown had the backpedal. Then for the uh, 
after the second goal, he, he went on a little bit of a, a mini sort of speech about how there's no be- better way to mark your debut. And I thought there actually would be if he'd headed it into the net and looked more convincing about it. Yeah. Because for me, the jury's still out on him because I now think he's just uncoordinated. It was a great advert, though, for Visit Rwanda because it hit right off that sleeve <laughs> and in, you know. Well, I think, I mean, in general this weekend, there were a number of debut players who stood out and there were a number of players on debut who scored goals. But I think that, you know, the Gabriel uh, goal highlighted that not all goals are equal. You look at mm. the um, Castagna from Leicester, bullet header. That's a goal on debut that it's emphatic. Yes. It marks, I am here and I'm ready to play football. Gabriel shouldering one in does not make the same statement. It's also great to hear Jonathan Pierce claim that he'd seen a lot of him for Lille uh, and he was uh, the Arsenal were getting a goodbye. Yeah, Bailey, you noticed something else that, that Keown does in the commentary. Oh, Keown does this. It's so funny how he does it. But Keown will see two players standing over maybe a set piece or standing close to each other or have been involved in the same bit of play. And Keown will create a, like a narrative between the two players. <laughs> like a fake dialogue. He, he sees two players and sets over the free kick. He'll be watching watching the free kick being taken and he'll be going, well, I can guarantee you, William's saying to whoever else, I'll be having this, I've scored a few. You're going, no, Martin, he's not said a word to him. It's bizarre. Yeah. Every, and he does it, he does it all the time. It's cre- he, between he lives for it. centre-back and right-back. He'll be going, oh, I can guarantee you now... Uh, Gabrielle's telling Tierney, I need, you, I need you further back. And you're going, Martin, yeah. I've, I've not seen him say that. No, he, he, he just you're, makes you've a, created a, f- a full script. He makes up storylines. The guy, the guy was destined to be a WWE scriptwriter. Honestly, he'd be fantastic. Adam. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, scuffles and things, um, there is one thing I'd like to uh, point out. No, we're not going to be talking about uh, this game for obvious reasons, but I just want to point out something about football in general that we need to change. Oh. Um, so... Andy Carroll blatantly elbowed in the face Thomas Suchek from kickoff in the Newcastle West Ham game. And there was nothing made of it whatsoever. It was borderline assault. Yeah, I mean, that game, I think, just bored people into just sort of getting memory loss of that 90 minutes. Well, well, it did indeed, but I, I just have to bring this up. So can we discuss this issue in football where... If something is done within the first half an hour, it doesn't matter what you do. You could headbutt someone, you could kick someone, <laughs> you could two-foot someone. It, it doesn't matter because it's in the first half an hour. doesn't matter. It I think the first half matter. an hour is pushing it a bit. Mm. First five, you get away with a lot of that. <laughs> first well, half you tell me the last ridiculous. time somebody got sent off before half an hour in the Premier League. Oh, Chris, the entire um, point of this podcast is we don't do stats. I'm yeah, we, I mean, we don't know what Listen, it was borderline assault. Right, I mean, no one watched it. If a tree falls in the wood, (laughs) yeah, it's a good point. I do love Andy Carroll, though he was a great hammer. He was a great hammer. Is he still on a pay as you play? Yes, yes, he is. Yep, he actually looked quite fit. To be fair, yeah. Get him on the pod. Sorry, no. The one thing I remember about that game was whoever was on commentary was talking about Andy Carroll's level of fitness as he was on the ground, lying dead, having somebody stretch out his calf for cramp. So I don't think happen. he did look that fit, Chris, that, that, to be that, completely honest. That, that did well, um, he, he looked fit compared to the West Ham players. Well, yeah, I think yeah, it was probably just nice for you guys to see somebody try for his team. Well, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess uh, moving on, uh, one of the sort of the, the topics that always comes up at the start of a new season is what changes they've made to the laws of the game. And they're not rules, they're laws. Um, and 
you know, the, the couple of things that were highlighted this year um, on the, the first game, the Arsenal game, were the change in the handball rule that now it's armpit level, so anything above the armpit, i.e. the shoulder, now is fine, um, which I thought was always fine, but apparently wasn't, uh, that apparently uh, goalkeepers are going to be watched by VAR about encroaching on penalties. And I think if a player was to, if a goalkeeper was to save a penalty after coming off his line too early, it would have to be retaken. I don't know what happens if the player skies it over the bar, because technically the keeper's not done anything to affect that, and they're never going to pull back a penalty if the keeper encroaches and the player scores. So I don't know how that's going to work. But the third thing they they mentioned was. Um, that they want, obviously with all the uh, controversy surrounding VAR last year, the Premier League have said they want the referees to go and use those pitch-side monitors. Finally. Well, two I'm years actually, too late. Well, you say that, Chris. I, I'm strongly against it. Oh, oh right. I, I agree. I oh, think football oh, okay. football's one of these games that, that really does just annoy people, and then it gives them things to talk about at work during the week. And having the pit, the the screen at the side of the pitch but not letting the referees use it I thought was one of the prime examples of football just being sort of sacrificing practicality for the sake of just wind up merchant stuff (laughs) and I was all for it but they've decided this year they want to change it and obviously the first couple of weeks of the season are, are when the referees are really diligent about these are the changes somebody needs to do something to, to prove that we're progressing yep. forward. And that happened in the Southampton Crystal Palace match. Oh, it was a shambles. It was a shambles. So John Moss, referee in the game, there was a ball I think went in about waist height. It was a bouncing ball. And Cal Walker-Peters came out to try and deal with the ball. One of the Palace players nicked it away from him. And Walker-Peters followed through, caught him high. And it was his foot was high and his studs were showing. He barely he, touched him. Yeah, but even at full pace, exactly, it was it was quite slow, relatively speaking. There was clearly no intent to injure the player, but for whatever reason, John Moss very quickly decided in his own head, this is a red card. And this, for me, straight up became, I think this is a Premier League agenda. There's been an email <laughs> sent out that has said somebody needs to deliberately make a, a call that's incorrect so that we can send them to the monitor and they can overturn it. Because that never looked a red card. He gave the red card very quickly. Cal Walker-Peters did not start walking off the pitch. So it was almost like he knew this could be changed. Then mm-hmm. they went to VAR, Stockley Park, then went back to John Moss and said, go and have a look at the screen. He went over and had a look at the screen for all of about 10 seconds before coming back and saying, no, I got that wrong, guys. Yellow card. And then he starts getting praised all around by the commentary team for this is how football should be. The whole thing stunk <laughs> of a Premier League agenda. But how long do you reckon this happens every year? They introduce something new. How long really do you think this is going to last? Because everyone quickly forgot about the sub- substitutes last season. Mm. Supposed to go off the nearest. Oh, I'm glad day. that's done. That's done. Yeah. After two weeks, stop. Mm. People stop caring. Now there will be one ref one week who does make themselves a superstar by enforcing that goalkeeper on the line nonsense. Mm. Oh, I'll be back, can't we? There's going to be someone taking it by three times, and it's going to be Mike Dean, Super Sunday, quarter past four. Yeah, Man United City. Yeah. Bruno <laughs> Fernandes will have to hit three. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, I, th- I, th- I think there's something in that, Darren. And there, there is the other, the other new rule about um, where they don't lift the flag until the play is done. Oh, that's a nonsense. Because it distracts that. defenders, apparently. I know, what a nonsense is that? Well, if Anglo Ogbonna and Issa Diop would spend less time putting their arm in the air um, for, <laughs> and actually defend, maybe some teams would concede less goals. But yes, uh, you're right. Yeah, because I guess going back to the um, that's a that's a good point on the offside flag thing because we kind of brushed over it and we forgot about it during the Liverpool game. The um, oh yes, Jack Harrison lobbing Allison and oh, he was God, offside. Yeah. Trent doing really well to run back and then just headed the ball inexplicably into his own net. Just went off the wrong part of his forehead. Yeah, it was but, really weird. But it was, and this is what I don't like about the Liverpool defense at the moment is the Van Dyke passed the, the the one that he passed to Bamford arrogant when Trent headed that ball into his net there was no look of panic on him at any point he just looked at the linesman like yeah that's offside yeah of course let's get back in position no what you've done is ridiculously stupid and I want to see a little bit of emotion that says Poh, got away with that one boys stick the hand in the air apologies won't do that again got away with one <laughs> Jack, Jack Harrison by the way good little player um, good little player you're absolutely on, right on them from Man City Interesting. With yeah. the uh, option probably. to buy as well at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good deal. Wild I story. think for um yeah. for Leeds. Um, but yeah, I just thought the the Cal Walker Peters thing was was interesting. No, I, I think there's something not. Yeah. It was all a little bit too staged for my yeah. Stockley um, Park definitely was involved. <laughs> uh, something I wanted to, just to, to touch on. Um, what do we think of Premier League kits this year? I I, I think they're dreadful. <laughs> I. They're very they're very out there this year, uh, probably more than ever. I mean, there's no there's no Everton you know blue shirt white. Uh, Everton do have a blue shirt. I want to make that known to everybody. <laughs> no, I was wondering where that was. Everton going. do have a blue shirt. <laughs> no, the 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 do, but their the design is is a bit different. Um, well, it's Sheffield. hummel. It's yuck. Yeah, a, a lot of them have gone for like not one color. I think Newcastle have got on the classic. Are the only ones who really got absolute classic. Every other team seems to have changed it in some little niche way. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought I thought West Ham's home and away kits looked okay. Oh, it always does. Um, yeah. I think West Brom deserve to be relegated now for all three of theirs. <laughs> they are by a million miles the worst I've seen. I thought Sheffield United's tonight looked quite cheap. It looks like it. League One Sheffield United. Mm. I thought Leicester's was horrific. Yeah, Leicester's wasn't good. Palace's wasn't good. Yeah, there's something about the template this year. Both. Ali does Nike. It's awful. Yeah. They've definitely got some hipster ga- graphic designer in New York. Um, they've got him on the phone and said, "You know, can you just can you just brush this up a wee bit for us?" But I think on your point as well with West Brom, I think whenever you have a sponsor such as Ideal Boilers, it's quite hard yeah. to no matter like how many years you've spent designing, how many millions you're you're paid. I think it's quite tough to incorporate that in your in your thoughts. I think yes. you're right. I think as well. There, I think Aston Villa and Everton are both sponsored by Kazoo. Yep. Yeah. What, what, I, I don't know what is that, that, that the drink. I don't is know that? what that company is, but their logo's yuck. Yeah. It, I I didn't know if that was the the strawberry milkshake flavored drink or some kind of betting thing, like every oh, other sponsor. No, even League. better. It's a way to buy used cars. What? Oh, of course, right? <laughs> used cars, because, used yeah, cars, right? Premier League what, are they undercutting we buy any car? Can we get? Can we get? Yeah, that'll be yeah. I back them. <laughs> Start okay. to beef. I mean, we've just given them a significant amount of promo, so I'd be <laughs> okay. expecting us to have kazoo oh, oh, on the on oh, the cover right, of the okay, podcast uh, by next week. So, guys, what did we think? Um, Everton, Tottenham, obviously, good result for Everton. Kind of a new look team for them this year. What, listen, what, we surely can't have a Premier League <laughs> season when Everton are good. 
Well, like, it's interesting we, we can't to say have that this. because I have looked at Everton certainly sort of from 2015-16 to around 2019 where after every Merseyside derby I would text Bailey saying this is the worst Everton team I've ever seen. Well, I, and I this year is the club. first year that I'm genuinely concerned because this team are, are not the worst Everton team but I've ever seen. that's the thing, because they're actually quite decent this year, if Liverpool do beat them, is this the worst Everton team? Because this is an Everton Everton team that does have a legitimate chance of winning that game. I, I don't know because I think first of all it's probably impossible for Everton to ever uh, sink deeper than they did when they lost to Liverpool's under twenty threes last year. Um, <laughs> was, when yeah. Nathaniel Phillips was recalled from Stuttgart <laughs> for the sole purpose of giving Van Dijk a one game rest, won a Merseyside derby and went back out to Stuttgart on loan again. Um, I think just there's a different feel about this Everton team. Carlo Ancelotti, I think, is maybe the best decision Everton have made. Oh yeah. Maybe in a decade. Yeah. Um, and it's good to see that they've also backed him with players he wants. I think Allen is a really good signing in there. I think Decoré yeah, will do good. Yeah. And I think James Rodriguez is a good sort of risk-reward signing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think people, maybe people who don't really follow European football realise how good that guy Allen is. Like, he plays for um, Brazil very regularly as well. Yeah, he's um, just sort of one of these, like, break-up things, that sort yeah, of... looks a nasty fella as yeah. well, which I think Everton have needed. I think a lot of last season, it was like Tom Davis and... Uh, Gomez in midfield. Mm. Well, Gomez is still there, yeah. By, anyone could walk by that. You need a nasty little fella in there. Just yeah, like, you need a Gary Medell. You need exactly. Gary Medell. You need a Lee Cattermole. You need a Lucas Torreira. You know, you need that type yeah. of player. Someone not shy to pick up a yeah. yellow card and see themselves up on the VAR screen every now and then. Yeah, I think of Arturo Vidal, yeah. What mm-hmm. does concern me a little bit is Jordan Pickford was name dropped twice in oh, the no. trailer of this podcast. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened, Pickford mentioned twice in the trailer in less than complimentary ways and actually produced a number of uh, pretty good saves against Tottenham. So I guess my question is, has this podcast Mr. Spoke Pickford into Golden Glove this year? No, he I, I, does this. He does it. I really, I really <laughs> hope not. I really, really... No, I, you know what? I'm actually going to put out there. I'm going to say no, we absolutely haven't. There's no way that Jordan Pickford is going to win the Golden Glove. Uh, like, Glo- we oh, won't oh. be back for season no. two if Boys, Pickford wins Golden Glove. There's no way. I'm t- ten clean sheets. Over under. I mean, we're all going to say under, and then we're going to eat humble pie. <laughs> no, it is under. that bloody glove. No, sorry, Mike, it's the centre-backs. It, it's under. The centre-backs is... Well, I, don't mean, I, I mean, maybe they were good on Saturday, but the... Michael Keane and Yerry Mina have clearly not been playing to their potential for the past two seasons. So, so we're all going to turn it around this year. Mm. All going under. Let's just document that for 38 games. Under. <laughs> Definitely under. Okay. Well, listen, we can keep our fingers crossed and hope so, but I mean, we're going to have to go into hiding if Pickford comes out having a good season. <laughs> no, um, well. Uh, so we will. Uh, I suppose Chelsea Brighton is the only other game sort of from the quote-unquote big six um, that kind of deserved any airtime because we refused to talk about Leicester. Um, <laughs> Bailey, do you want to take the reins on, on Chelsea? Good win? Bad win? Yeah, it was... Don't overall, care? Overall, we weren't great So uh, as a team, Chelsea. I, I thought Lampard maybe got team selection a bit wrong, but I don't know where he could have really gone. Happened. I think... It was strange watching, for the first half anyway, a player Chelsea had let go in January in Lamptey, 
was the best player on the pitch for 45 minutes. Okay. And then also strange that come 70 minutes, Lampard brought on Ross Barkley, who is... I'll talk about him in the same terms I talk about Jordan Pickford at times. Mm. He's the lowest IQ footballer I've ever seen in my life. I thought it was really nice of him during that counter-attack in the second half. He waited until Werner pretty much came to a standstill before passing oh, it to oh, him. Yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. was he, good. He, he thought it would be kind to let the defenders have a chance. Yeah. At whatever, I think it was maybe 2-1 two, two, or 3-1 at the time. Mm. But no, yeah, I think I, he's I, the only player in the world that you would... You have four or five seconds of shouting, pass it to him. Yeah. And he still doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I think... Like, he, he's the best killer of a counter-attack that I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's desperate, so it is. Uh, but I think, o- overall, uh, Chelsea should be should be happy with it. I think you look at the team, uh, Alonso won't play again once Chilwell's fit. Mm-hmm. I think you'll add in, I think, Christian Pulisic's to come back. Thiago Silva will probably find his way into the team somewhere. Kante looked quite good. I think overall it's... Uh, yeah, Werner looked very sharp. Werner looks quick, but he also at times looks a bit like a German Jamie Vardy, which is <laughs> but, but hopefully, hopefully he's a bit more class than that fellow. Yeah, Vardy scores goals. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, Billy, uh, in, the, in a practice podcast that we recorded, uh, you alluded to a comment um, regarding the future of Pep Guardiola, and you made a statement saying that... Um, you thought that this would be his last year at Manchester City and you could see it in his eyes. And the reason I bring that up is um, Martin Tyler suggested on commentary tonight for the Chelsea game that Kepa's problems are because he can't actually see. And I just wondered, have you been able to look in his eyes and see is there any sort of truth in that? I, I thought that was a wild allegation Martin Tyler. <laughs> so, sorry, what, what was that? Yeah. Martin Tyler yeah. went on a full rant tonight about what? Uh, Kepa and contact lenses and yep. vision not being 2020. And oh, my days. Suggested, it was after the, the Brighton after, equaliser yeah. at 1-1. He suggested that Kepa just flat out can't see. Yeah, which is mad but because... Being a Chelsea fan and watching quite a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff, and especially whenever the guy signed, followed him quite a bit. I've not once seen him wear glasses, so I think it was a wild allegation for Martin Tyler to just go, "Oh, he's blind because he lets in long range shots." Yeah, the, 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 the guy is bottom three keepers in the Premier League. I mean, that, that's not even a controversial statement. But I, I would view him completely differently if it if there was some truth. If it turned out he really couldn't see. I would say he's actually one of the best keepers I've ever seen. He can't see anything. So do you think the entire kind of perspective everyone everyone kind of has on Kepa would change if he turned up in like Edgar David's goggles? Yeah, I think I think he Ugh. should really lean into this. I think he should capitalise on it. Yes, see an opportunity and go, okay, there's the first legally blind goalkeeper. Yeah, I mean, it's only out at this stage. Well, it'll be interesting to see if there's any developments on that. And, and since we gave him a shout out, happy birthday to Martin Tyler today happy is birthday, Martin is Tyler. his uh, is his birthday. So happy birthday and to the great live. man. Yeah. Um, I guess if we're if we're ready to move on, Bailey, you want to, to introduce a bit of an in the mud segment. You want to explain to people what that is and and let us know who who the first in the mud is in the Premier League this season. Yep. So the entire uh, kind of idea behind the in the mud section is to bring footballers and people around the game back down the earth. There's a lot of people just heap on praise. Like any time, say an 18 year old player does something fantastic they're automatically a generational talent well i want to go the other route and drag people through the mud now this can be anyone from us 
to players, to managers, to pundits, just anyone, like anyone with an opinion on the game. Mm-hmm. I want to drag them through whenever their opinion is wrong or they've done something flat out stupid. So for week one of this, we've got the PFA Team of the Year. The PFA Team of the Year, that's who's in the mud this week? That's the PFA. Brilliant. Whoever's there, whoever's voting, whoever's involved are all I, who in the mud. Who does that, yeah. And what, so, why is that? I've actually not seen the Team of yeah, the Year. Yeah, so yep. You two haven't seen it. Now, yep. to be fair to them, they got two things right. Uh, everyone was quite worried about Player of the Year, that it was going to go to Jordan Henderson. Which I, that would have been a travesty, to be, to be fair. It went yeah. to Kevin De Bruyne, yeah. Young Player of the Year, went to Trent Alexander-Arnold. It, well, well done to both. They deserved mm. it. Now mm. to get to the actual team of the year. De Bruyne is a good little player. <laughs> Very good little player. <laughs> so, in goals, Alison Becker, of course, I think. Ali B. I'll agree there. Ali uh, B. Right Missed a few games as well. Yes, yeah. which, is, which is some good one. I think he was like two months or something, wasn't it, early yep. in the year? Do you think uh, his stock was helped based on Adrian's pretty average performance? Yeah, because everyone realised. Oh, it was like, oh, this, this Ali B guy is. must be pretty good. Uh, so to run through the rest of the team, right back was Alexander Arnold. Yeah. Two centre backs were uh, Virgil and Soyuncu from Leicester. Now that's not oh, the controversial one, but I'm, I'll give it based on when they may have voted for it. I'll give it to them. I'm not. I wasn't overly impressed, but we'll give it because okay. there's more. To bull call that. So at left back it was Andy Robertson. Okay. <laughs> All right. To go yeah. to two of the midfielders, it was De Bruyne and Henderson. Now the third slot we'll talk about. Oh. And then higher up, I believe it was Obama Yang, Vardy, and Salah. M- m- might be someone different left wing. I'm not 100 percent sure if it was definitely Obama. No, it wouldn't it have been. Someone, it couldn't have been Salah. It would have had to have been Mane. We'll find it here, but it was definitely three sensible players. Right. Go for up there. Right. We would like to guess who the other midfielder was, gents. Bruno Fernandez. Or even more ridiculous. Um, you've guessed Bruno Fernandez. Jack Grealish. <sighs> no, because Jack actually had some memorable games last season. Um, Ollie Norwood. Ollie Norwood, I would actually give it to you over this fella. <laughs> the the third midfielder was David Silva. What? <laughs> David Silva? David Silva. David Silva, who what? played 22 games of Premier League football last year. I, I put Leander Den Donker in ahead of David Silva. Is, Chris, this is, just, is that just like an emotional pick? I, I, yes, I, I yeah. think that's all it is. I think he's mates in every team around the league. <laughs> managers who, but do you think it's like, oh, he's not come back this year, we'll, we'll give it to him? I don't know, but my, my thing is, name me a memorable David Silva moment from last season. <laughs> I think the most memorable moment he's had in about the past three years is that first game back after he got his hair transplant. Oh, that, <laughs> hair, tra- that hair transplant's maybe yeah. one of the best things I've seen in Premier League I, history. I genuinely, I genuinely don't, can't remember a great David Silva moment. No, I, no I, he's in I, I, I think that's a slight exaggeration of, of the previous three years, but I definitely do not... Th- I mean, no, I, 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 oh, okay. But the PFA Player of the Year's only picked on this year. Yes, so, so and this year that's an absolutely shambolic pick. Yeah, hmm. and sorry, it was Mane ahead of Salah. It was Mane. It, okay, I think there's an argument that Mikel Antonio could have been ahead of him. Okay, he played Anyone six games. <laughs> the end of the season after you after West Ham had been awful for about eight months, but it was six well, more memorable games than David Silva had. He scored four against Norwich. <laughs> yeah, but David I mean, Silva do that. Yeah, Norwich were dead last in the league. <laughs> 
I, yeah. I could comfortably think of it. I, I actually would put Bruno Fernandes in ahead of David Silva. Well, this is the thing. We, we were all worried that that was going to happen. I think yeah. everyone was panicked that Man United fans were going to be able to tell us all how Bruno oh, of course. Fernandes is. And now the PFA have gone in a completely opposite direction and given it to David Silva. Surely even James Madison would be... I, I don't know who he was voting for this, to be honest. Matinho, Wolves, yeah. John Fleck, um, Lundstrom. Mateo Kovacic. I'll tell you who could be in it this year. El Nani. The way he started <laughs> Great for shout. Great shout. Cool. You love to see it. Arteta's turned him into a bit of a player at one point, I think, for the set up the third Arsenal goal by dinking the ball over somebody's head. You were like, where's this guy being? I mean, good, good, little player. good little player. Good little player, right? <laughs> 23 games and you can get in these days ahead of this fraud. Right? That, that, that's horrific. That, that's, a gr- that's a great first start. Like, like that is a shambles. Yeah. David Silva, PFA the, player of the year. David Silva and the PFA are in the mud. Yeah, fair play, good, good head of hair. Great, good head of hair. Boys, listen, I think um, I think that pretty much does us for for the first episode. Thanks very much for your time. I think overall, I'd say pretty promising debuts all round. You know, it wasn't faultless. I think we can all agree that there's been a few sloppy mistakes here, some more than others, Christopher. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think it's fair to say there's a bit of potential here, so we'll keep going with it. Indeed. I'm excited. Let's see who over the next week is going to get themselves dragged through the mud. Yeah. Don't make any mistakes. Pickford. Yeah. So, um, oh God, Pickford, yeah. So um, I guess thanks to everyone who, who's listened in. And, and if anyone wants to get in touch with the show, all of our uh, contact info will, will be in the show notes. We have an Instagram. We have a Twitter. Uh, we have a blog that we are launching where we will be doing predictions and match results. So if you want to go and see just how incorrect we can be about football, uh, head over there. And um, if you do want to get in touch with the show by email, there's an email address there. We really would um, would love to hear from you. Uh, we were thinking perhaps about doing a little segment at the end where we answer some questions if anybody had that. So, uh, yeah, feel free to get in touch. And um, as I said at the beginning of the show, don't forget to subscribe. Rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because the algorithms like it. <laughs> and we need that. Uh, uh, boys, yeah. thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks yeah, very much, see you next week. Let's go. See you next week.